0: Today we're going to uh, continue looking at our Acts series. The last time round it was Act 16, fab, thanks Johnny. Um, and I'm going to talk about Act 17, so we're going to do the whole chapter today. Um, so Acts is Luke's account of missionary journey of Paul and company, and we join them in Thessalonica. Thessalonica, Thessalonica, what are you? Who knows? Um, having traveled a hundred miles there from Philippi, which uh, was in Acts 16. So we're going to read the passage. It's it's the full chapter, so stay with me. Acts 17. Um, I'm probably pressing the wrong button though. So the arrow? Oh, there we go. Yeah, okay, so we're calling this The Truth Will Set You Free. Okay, let's go. So Acts 17. Um When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the other post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens, and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens... Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. <coughs> okay. That was Act 17. Good job. Right. So, um <coughs> in preparing for this, I used a bit of uh, commentary uh, from a guy called John Stott. So, um <coughs> If any of the points are a little weird in this, it's probably the stuff that I put in, not the stuff from the commentary. Um, I think John John starts pretty, pretty good on the old theology. Um all right, so the first point. Oh, sorry, I had those. I forgot I had those on the screen. Um, is this okay? People want to know the truth. Quick quiz question: What famous TV show from the nineties? had the tagline, the truth is out there. X-Files. Yes, X-Files, way too scary for anyone to watch, obviously. I wouldn't be anywhere near that, Um, but you got it. Okay, the truth is out there. Our human nature is to want to know the answers, isn't it? For example, we like to know how a story ends or who was the culprit, what the answer on the test was, how the magic was done, whether something's a scam or not, and most importantly, why are we here? I'm asking that myself right now. Why am I, why <laughs> am I here? Um, so, the big questions. We want to know the answers to the big questions of life, don't we? And as I keep discovering, this only seems to get stronger the older that we get. People described in Acts are no different to us there. We consistently see in this account that Paul's not preaching in a vacuum. He's not speaking to people who, who are uninterested in the big questions of life. In fact, everywhere he goes... People are willing to listen and are genuinely engaged in the pursuit of knowledge, in the pursuit of worship of a higher power, whether that be the synagogue, the market square, to an uh, idol shrine, or this place to Areopagus. We want to know the truth and also who to ascribe greatness to. We love to worship and we've been made to worship. And it's clear from the passage that as Paul travels around all these different places, everywhere he goes, people are worshiping something, aren't they? In Thessalonica, Paul goes to the synagogue to preach about Christ being the Messiah, about his resurrection and what that means for Jews and for Gentiles alike. His main line of reasoning was to prove that the Christ of the Scriptures, who had to suffer and die, was actually this Jesus of recent history. That's what he was trying to lay out for those listeners. Interestingly, I don't know if you picked it up there, we see that the Jews in Thessalonica listened but the Jews in Berea were of more noble character. They examined the Scriptures every day to see what Paul said was true. Um, You see, the Jews in Thessalonica went to the synagogue every Sabbath to hear the truth, uh, but the Jews in Berea went to the synagogue every day to hear the truth, and they weighed up what they heard in the Scriptures. John Stott notes that ever since then, the adjective Berean implies someone who studies the Scriptures with impartiality and care. I was thinking if I was a Jew back then, I'd hope I was a Berean Jew, one of more noble character, not one of the Thessalonian Jews, but there's no guarantees. Who knows, maybe there's a bit of rivalry between those two towns, but bit like between Ards and Bangor. <laughs> but I'll let you make up your own mind as to which one is which there. But when Paul gets to Athens, we see that the men there did nothing but talk about and discuss the latest ideas. Athens as a city was described as Roman o- the Roman Empire's intellectual metropolis. That sounds like a good life, doesn't it? Just standing around and chatting about what's new. Some of you maybe maybe thinking that's what I do for a living, um, but maybe not. This was the ancient version of what we used to. We used to use that term, the water cooler moment. Do you ever remember that? It's more '90s as well, where people would gather around the water cooler in the office to kind of talk about the latest thing. Our latest thing was on TV, but we've all got water bottles now, so <laughs> doesn't really happen. Um, but we could maybe call it like the the pizza moment or the the coffee and biscuits moment or the car park moment here. You know, the fact is the men of Athens were always hungry for news, for the latest thing, and that speaks of their desire for answers. They wanted to know the truth, just like the folk who attended the synagogues. And just like us on a Sunday morning as well, you know we are hungry for that, for that too. When Paul was addressing the crowd in the Areopagus, the, well, the Areopagus was this place set set on a hill where a lot of debate would go on, and um, there was kind of like a council, a council of men who would, would see themselves as guardians of the city's morals and religion and education. Um, but when he was addressing them, he brands the people of Athens as very religious. Now, it was clear from all outward perspective that they were desperate for the truth. Their hearts were crying out in worship, but all their worship was going to the wrong place. Their city was submerged in idols. Images everywhere, including Athena, Apollo, Jupiter, the Greek pantheon, the gods of Olympus, all made from stone, brass, gold, silver, works of art fashioned by the finest Greek sculptors. Paul literally saw a city that was smothered by idols. The religion was quite oppressive, but their interest and their worship was directed at ideas and constructions that could never satisfy them. Paul says in verse 23, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. He didn't mean that they were worshiping God all along, just under a different name, but rather he meant that They had an inbuilt desire to worship. And by creating an altar to an unknown God, they were reaching out. Reaching out for him, a bit like someone scrambling around in a dark room for a handle that they knew was there somewhere. So just to recap that first point, Acts 17 tells us people want to know the truth and often they received it. In Thessalonica verse 4 says, Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. In Berea, verse 12 says, As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women, many Greek men. And in Athens, verse 34 says, Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. However, some people didn't like what they heard. Which leads us on to the next point. People don't want to know the truth. So it may be a bit weird, that title. maybe may be a bit contradictory, but... Where we tend to want to know the truth, we also tend not to like it sometimes. So you see, even though our hearts crave the truth, we're also battling our sinful and selfish natures. So sometimes our hearts actually don't really want to know the truth. You can't handle the truth! <laughs> Where's that from? That's a movie. Yes! Get in there. Okay. Um. So sometimes the truth hurts or the truth means hard work or it could be a call to step into something greater that is maybe a bit too difficult. Sometimes we or some people would just rather live without that knowledge of the truth. That might be easier, maybe more comfortable. What's that saying, ignorance is bliss. So the reason Paul had to travel 50 miles from Berea, to, uh, sorry, 50 miles to Berea from Thessalonica was because he was run out of town by people who didn't like the truth after all. And we've seen that a few times in Acts so far, haven't we? Paul attacked by people jealous of his success and maybe reticent to assess and listen to a different type of news, maybe reticent to, som- to listen to something life-giving, but that is different to what they've been used to. Perhaps reticent to give up the place of something in their lives that they were in control of, but it maybe become an idol to them. The Jews that were jealous refused to believe in what the kind of truth Paul was selling and seemed to prefer their perhaps easier tradition, happy with their place in life, not keen for any disruption. And I kind of asked myself, you know, how often am I like that whenever I hear something a bit uncomfortable? We already mentioned that slight difference between the, the, uh, the Thessalonians and the Bereans, but even the language that Paul used when speaking to them is different perhaps reflects the receptivity of their hearts, you know how ready they were to, to listen. In Thessalonica, Paul reasoned, explained, proved, proclaimed, and persuaded, while in Berea, the Jews eagerly received the message and diligently examined the Scriptures, showing more of an acceptance. The Jews in Thessalonica track Paul down in Berea as well, and again, they cause him to move on. He's forced to travel 300 miles by boat to Athens, Whereas we've seen he meets with some success, but also encounters some people who would rather stick with their idols. He gets some pushback there as well. Verse 18 tells us a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And that seems a bit of a team insult, doesn't it, by our standards, what we've grown up with on the playgrounds. No one's really saying, you wee babbler, you know. Be a bit harsher, definitely wasn't. East Belfast, um, but it implied that this group of people thought Paul was talking rubbish. John Stott writes that it was characteristic of Epicureans just to let you know who these people. Are, I didn't really know who it, who they were. It's characteristic of Epicureans to emphasise chance, escape, the enjoyment of pleasure. That was their thing, and of the Stoics to emphasise fatalism, submission, and the endurance of pain. So they were two rival groups of thought, and people would have chosen to follow them just like they may have chosen to follow uh, the ways of Jesus. More rejection then followed when he speaks to the Areopagus. He gets laughed at and jeered. Verse 32 says, When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again the subject. So people who don't want to know the truth might brand us, like in verse 6, as people who have caused trouble all over the world, or as a babbler. But we are called to keep going, even if, like Paul, we've already received um, substantial abuse. We're called to keep going, and that's point three. It's a wee bit longer than the other two. Um, Even though some people don't want to hear the truth, we still need to share it. That's our calling. Share it with sensitivity. What moved Paul to share the truth? Well, he looked around at his world, and he was actually distraught at the lives of his contemporaries. It says that Paul was greatly distressed when he saw all the idols in Athens. This is the same type of distress that God showed when the Israelites made the golden calf on Mount Sinai. Because God is jealous for the honor and glory that is due to him. And Paul recognized that when he visited Athens. It says in Isaiah 42, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Because all idolatry switches the rightful order of who God is and who we are. It changes the places of the creator and the created. It's not how we were made to live. And putting an idol in the place of God will never satisfy, despite the promises that idols make to us. See, Paul felt so burdened by what he saw that he had to share the good news. Nicky Gumbel, champion of the Alpha Course, and that's cool that the the youth are doing the youth Alpha Course. Didn't know that. Um, he says the greatest injustice in the world is for people never to have heard about Jesus, and the greatest act of love is to introduce someone to Jesus. However, sharing the truth doesn't just need to be about preaching the gospel to people who have never heard it before. It is noteworthy that Paul didn't just see sharing the truth as something for non-Christians, but he actually wrote to the Christians of 2 Corinthians who lost their way a little. 2 Corinthians verse 11, or sorry, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2 reads, "I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy." So, like this, we can also be jealous for the glory of God to go to Him, whether it be from non-Christians or from our Christian brothers and sisters. And that speaks of that reminder just to keep encouraging each other, a thing that we've met in Acts before as well. So when we read about his actions in Athens in the marketplace and the Areopagus, it reminds me of a place in uh, Hyde Park in London called Speaker's Corner. I wonder if you've ever heard of it. My mum and dad took me and my sister there um, a couple of times when we were young. And if I've ever been in London since I'd like to try and get along just to hear what's happening. It's a place f- where free speech is, uh, is allowed, um, particularly in this little area, and debate where anyone can literally get on their soapbox and rant and rave about whatever they're passionate about. The topics are often controversial and elicit feisty uh, back and forth between the audience and the speaker. But this is effectively where Paul headed in order to get his message out and to get a feel for the local populace and and just to do what he did best, engage with those around him on his favourite topic, the significance of Jesus in our lives. Now, I'm not suggesting that we head down to the McKee clock and start shouting out big life questions to the passing Picky Pool public patrons. (laughs) Five Ps. Um, No, his location warranted that type of approach and the culture was different to ours but I am suggesting that like Paul we do what we do best we read the room we the location the culture the relationships we have been given and the place we find ourselves and we do what we do best whether that be dialogue with people prayer acts of service practical help a listening ear passing on a book podcast whatever God has given us specific natures and characteristics that are unique to us and he wants to use those to bring him glory. Paul knew his audience and he spoke to them naturally in a way that they would connect with. In the synagogue he used the scriptures because that's what the Jewish attenders would know. In Athens he doesn't refer to them, but rather opens his speech with quotes from two pagan poets and he refers to the idols and shrines of their city. He met people where they were at and on their level just like how Jesus meets us. Stott notes that Paul's use of the pagan poets in verse 28 as a way to back up his claims about us all being children of God reminds us that general revelation about God can come from unlikely places. It doesn't need to only be from the Bible. We can find the Lord in so many different locations, situations, and people, and all can point us toward him or be used to help us point um him to others rather point them to him not only did paul's engagement build on what his listeners already knew but it was always respectful he saw the value in people even though they may not agree with him he knew that we are all made in the image of god and have the ability to reflect the glory of the father sometimes preaching without listening to someone and without trying to understand where they're coming from can just put people off anything to do with god completely. Nicky Gumbel again talks about the beauty of the Alpha Course being a place where questions are asked and answers are not necessarily given. He talks about how the groups actually get worse and less successful as the number of Christians in them goes up. People don't want to be told the answer all the time without a chance to think for themselves and to be listened to. Giving our ear and our time is one of the most sacrificial and impactful activities we can do for someone. In fact, I believe it is an act of love to listen to someone. Jesus was a great asker of questions. He spent as much time telling people about the kingdom of God as he did challenging people to think about it and how they fit into it. So I'm suggesting that we, we just lean a little further into that, maybe past that point of passivity and into a place of nervous newness where we have to rely on him to fill the gaps between where we end And he takes over. I'm suggesting that this year we're a bit more intentional with how we interact with others in our unique way. Having the ultimate goal of introducing Jesus into the life of a person that we care about. And I'm speaking to myself the most when I say this. You know, please hear that. We all have lots going on and this is not to make anyone feel bad or something else to do. Because it scares me a lot. But... I want to encourage you to to lean into it a little bit more. This year, I want to head in a direction of getting better at it, rather than the direction of shying away from such encounters. I want to head in the direction of leaning more on God rather than heading in the direction of leaning more on myself. A direction of teamwork with the Holy Spirit and away from the pool of self-sufficiency. I sometimes listen to a short podcast by a guy called John Ortberg. And this that's one of his big things. What what direction are we choosing to head in? He sometimes says, today we're going to do life, so we have a choice whether we do it with God or without him. It's probably better to do it with God. So nearing the end here, from Acts 17, who is this God that Paul so boldly proclaimed and who we can share with others? Who is this God that, that takes us on deeper into 2024, can he be relied upon? As our hearts yearn for truth and to worship something, is he the one who will satisfy those desires? Yes, yes, and yes, he is and always will be. Listen to these statements that Paul makes about him. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He himself gives everyone life and breath, and everything else. For in him we live and move and have our being. We are his offspring. This is the summary of who Paul proclaims God to be. This is the truth. God is creator, sustainer, ruler, father, and judge. The good news is that we can have a wonderfully close relationship with this person. Could those topics form the start of conversations? Could they be questions to throw out the people in our spheres of influence? For example, asking someone who they think is the creator, sustainer, ruler, father, and judge of the world? Stodd asks, why is it that we do not speak as Paul spoke? Most likely because we do not feel as Paul felt, because we do not see as Paul seen. He saw, he felt, he spoke let's try and have our eyes open more to the absence of God and the presence of idols in people's lives, maybe our own, and let it move us to speaking into their lives to deliver hope and peace and all the good things that come from a life with Jesus. We'll just finish by looking again at those statements about this God, which we love, we serve, and we want to share in twenty twenty four Do we want God to be our creator, our sustainer, our ruler, our father, our judge? So let's be encouraged by what it says in verse 27, that God is not far from any one of us. John Orberg often says a phrase which I find helpful when he's referring to God and how to walk with him each day. He says, I can't, he can I think I'll let him, I can't, he can, I think I'll let him. So let's turn it over to him, let him lead on in 2024. Let's let him be our creator, our sustainer, our ruler, our father and our judge. I believe that as we do that, the desire to share him will grow, the opportunities to share the truth with those around us will appear and the truth will help to set us free and help to set others free as well. Amen.